0: We have rejoiced with many at the news that has come out from the Supreme Court in America having overturned the right for abortion. What is known as the Roe versus Wade ruling required all states to provide abortion services. That has now been overturned. And you just think of how many precious children will be preserved to live As a result of that ruling. And men and women, what God has wrought through those judges, our prayer should be that He would do it again in our land, in our nation, and in many others as well. Children are precious. Children are not just commodities. They're not inconveniences. They are precious in the Lord's sight. And when we take an overview of Jacob and his family in that time of famine, God stepped in there as well in order that they might be preserved. His plan meant that years previous, Joseph was sold and he was despised and rejected and placed among the Ishmaelites and sold down into Egypt and while the brothers meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Why? To save much people alive. And we can only say of all of that, this is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in her eyes. It was a fulfilling, of course, of the promises that God gave to Abraham, that his seed would be blessed, so that it would be likened to the stars for number. That promise was given. That covenant was ratified before Isaac was born. Oh yes, there would be the afflictions but yet the Lord chose his people. He set his love upon them and that love was not because they were a great nation. In fact, they were the least among many but because he loved them. That love is as a husband to a wife and vice versa. But how tragic when that love is adulterated. For that's how it is described in this chapter, in Ezekiel chapter 16. Israel were unfaithful to their God. In fact, the imagery used in these words is unforgiving. It's graphic to the extent that C.H. Spurgeon believed. In Victorian England, a minister could scarcely read it in public but it's not to the closing words of this chapter that I draw your attention to, and it's a very lengthy chapter, but rather to the opening words. The people of God are often termed as the Israel of God in the New Testament setting, and yet as we preach, we are conscious in any congregation such as this. There are those who are still strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. And as such, I desire to bring to you a word to your soul. It is of a God of compassion. I want you to come with me. You'll notice, for example, the condition. The word that Ezekiel was to receive from God at this instance is one that graphically unfolds Israel's beginning as a people. And from time of her birth, we are brought forward to consider the time when she has advanced into womanhood. But that which stirs us in the face from these verses is her condition before the Lord found her. You see that there's a mention made of her descent and of her parentage. The origin of her birth is said to be, in verse 2, in the land of Canaan. Her father being an Amorite, her mother an Hittite, and you might ask yourself, what does that all mean? Well, you cast your mind back when Abraham and Sarah were to dwell in Canaan, having come in from the air of the Chaldees. They did so beside the Amorite and the Hittite. Those were the tribes that had dominion over the land. They were as sojourners who didn't own a piece of the land, save that Abraham went out and bought that burial place called Machpelah from the Ephron the Hittite. That's the only piece of ground that he owned. He was one who was a sojourner. He was moving from place to place. But he did so among these tribes. These tribes were like a mother and a father. And like those of the era of the Chaldees, they were two also idolaters. Indeed, it must be understood that these two tribes, the Amorite and the Hittite, of all the seven tribes that are mentioned in Canaan, are mentioned because they were the worst. They were the most wicked. Above all, they were the most hateful in God's sight because of their sinful and wicked deeds and ways. And at times, these tribes are named as representing the whole. I want you to see that. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 15, for example, and the words of verse 16. It says, But in the fourth generation, here's God speaking to Abraham of what will happen regarding the people The fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Their cup wasn't full, and the Amorites there is used to represent all the tribes. Genesis 27, just to give you one other example, verse 46 this time. Genesis 47, 46, speaks to Rebekah. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? A mother who is a great concern, lest Jacob would take one of the daughters of those tribes, of the Hittites. Their way is vexed the heart of Rebekah. Suffice to say that to connect the people of God to such a parentage was one of the most impressive ways that could be used to mark their sinful and their depraved condition and nature. They were classed with the most vilest and the worst of mankind. And having done so, he then proceeds to speak of their destitution and of their pollution. Look at verse 4. And as for thy nativity in the day that thou was born, thy navel was not cut. Neither was thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou was not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. The image that is given is one of, of who was born despised and rejected. The little infant was denied the very basic of care. There's no washing of it. There's no bandaging of it. Nor is there applying of salt to prevent disease. It's a miracle that there was life at all. And of course this details the desperate condition that the Israelites were in when in Egypt where there was that great affliction and oppression and in when in very real sense there was imminent danger of being destroyed. The sight of this child was unpleasant, and one of being polluted to the utmost. And see that the condition is one of being disregarded. Verse five: Now mine eye pitied thee to do, none I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person. In the day that thou was born, in the day in which he was born, there was a casting forth. She was considered to be worthless, so polluted that she is one who is cast out and abandoned to the elements of nature. Egypt is that open field into which she was cast. There she had no protection. There there was none who had compassion uh, upon her, Uh, certainly not from the government they were under, but on the contrary they were ruled with rigor and their lives embittered. They had no encouragement given to build up their families, no help to build up their estates, no friends or allies or strength to uh, help them in their interests. Everything about her was repulsive. There was nothing of beauty in her condition that would have struck a chord of compassion from a sinful parentage, polluted and rejected, and appointed to die. That's her condition. And dear people, you bring that all together. And so it is with a sinner born into this world. As far as our parentage is concerned, in the day that we were born, we were shapen in iniquity and conceived in sin. Our understanding darkened, our minds alienated from the life of God, polluted with sin, while rendered as loathsome in the eyes of God. We were those under the pollution, power, and guilt of sin. Wallowing in it, deserving of the wrath of God, liable to punishment for it, trodden underfoot, neglected and despised, and both hopeless and helpless. And we have been so because in Adam we fell. We have been cast off and separated from God forever because of our transgressions. There has never been one born of Adam's race who who has not gone astray speaking lies from the beginning. Our mouth is likened to a sepulcher. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. There is nothing of beauty in any one of us that would merit attention. Dear sinner, that is the condition of everyone. The traces and the marks of the fall are engraved and written upon each one of us. Our parentage is one of sin. Our nature is one of pollution. And our destiny is one of appointed death and rejection eternally. And you think of that as any wonder then. That the Savior during his earthly ministry was to say, Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. Our condition is just like Israel. She's depicted in this image of the newborn child. The curse of Adam's sin is upon us. But my question to you is, I wonder do you know your condition tonight? Do you recognize it? But having shown their condition, he then speaks of the compassion. For it was in such a state that Israel were to experience the grace and the mercy of God. What a striking contrast is noted from all the evil and the pollution. There comes a compassion which they had never known. You consider it was seen in the visitation. Verse 6, When I passed by thee. This was something that was not by chance. It was a deliberate passing by that way. And without it, that outcast, newborn, and polluted infant would surely have perished. But what a mercy that there was this visitation. And we know that in the great plan of God... He was to raise up a man, one who will be deliverer, deliverer of Israel. We're looking at his life in the morning time. Of course, his name is Moses, that great intercessor between a holy God and a sinful people. This he did of his own sovereign good and goodwill and pleasure, and not for any worth or merit in them, not because of any goodness in them, not because of any righteousness of theirs. For this he did when they were in their blood, in their pollution, and in their guilt. He was God's man. And the message that he was to convey to the nation was one of salvation. Exodus chapter 3 in the words of verse 16 says this, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a message of deliverance. Dear loved ones, so the same is in the gospel. For God through his own sovereign plan has been pleased to raise up one who would be our Savior and our Deliverer whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Without the visitation of Christ and there would be no salvation, there would be nothing but eternal death and destruction before you. But what a mercy that God should send His Son. Indeed, that God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that visitation is known to your heart, sinner, every time that the gospel message is preached. And the message is one of salvation for the undeserving sinner through the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know about God's visitation. But then consider there was a look of compassion. Because if we go on and read in verse 6 it says, And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, he passed by, but he looked. And that look was one that saw them polluted in their own blood. When no one else would pass by that way. When no one else would give them a second chance. The look of God was one of compassion. You know what it says in Exodus chapter 2 and 25. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God had respect unto them. And when he sees them. He looks upon them He does so not merely with the eye of omniscience, Not merely with the eye of scorn or contempt, but with an eye of pity and with an eye of compassion. And the same was the case with the incarnate Christ who was to look upon the great multitudes. Don't we read of it in Matthew chapter 9 in the words of verse 36? But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherds. The Lord saw the great multitudes. He had compassion on them. And what is all the more remarkable is that He looked upon them with kindness and with a tender affection and He set His love upon them. A love which was unaccountable. For there was nothing lovely in them. Look at verse 8. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love. Can I draw a parallel to Titus chapter 3? Titus chapter 3 in the words of verse 3 and 4 says this we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. It is a time of love to your soul. That still the message of the gospel has been preached to your heart. Even though, dear sinner, you have rejected Christ's time without number. And even though you're one who is unworthy of the least of his mercies. As we all are. There's nothing lovely in any one of us that would warrant Christ's compassion, but yet His love is an everlasting love. And it was such that in obedience to the will of His Father, His love for His people meant that He laid down His life on that cross of Calvary. And we can say tonight, greater love has no man than this. Then a man laid down his life for his friends. Particularly at this time of the year, the 1st of July, we do remember those who gave their life the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom in this land. But greater love has no man than this. You notice compassion meant there was a word in season offered. Verse 6 again, When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, Live! Yea, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, Live. When they were on the point of ruin and death, when they were deserving of nothing else, it was then that the Lord commanded that they should live. His eye pitied the poor and wretched little one. And with a word of his power, he bade it to live. It was as if the Lord was saying to this unwanted infant, I designed thee for life when thou was doomed to destruction and resolved to save thee from death. You'll notice three times over in verse 6 as you'll find the phrase, In thy blood. It was while they were covered in their pollution that the Lord was to speak the word of life to them. That word blood is in the plural. It's the same in verse 9. Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. If you have a margin against verse 9, you'll notice it's bloods. You see, there was the blood of the circumcision. But there was also the blood of the Passover lamb. God and mercy was to redeem them. And the message on that night of salvation was, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And dear sinner, the Lord can only be merciful to you on the grounds of the shed blood. And that was the prayer of the publican in, in the temple. God be propitious to me, the sinner. It's the message of redemption through his blood that alone can give life to your soul. And that is the word in season that you need tonight. It is His word that quickens and which is able to give life to the dead sinner, the life that the Lord gives and has purchased through His own life's blood on the cross. is a life that is abundant and it's a life which is eternal. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. I am come that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. Dear sinner, have you heard the voice of the Saviour? Then don't turn a deaf ear to it again. But heed his word and be saved. For I bring before you one who's a compassionate Saviour. One who is a compassionate God. As it is depicted even in these verses. But you know, there's one other thing I want you to see, and that is the change. What a change is wrought in this infant can be seen from the following verses. When God commandeth life, and by the way, when God speaks the Word, it shall be done. This preacher can't save you. But God can speak the Word. He can command you to live where you're sitting right now. Here you get out of this house, this meeting house tonight. You can be saved before you reach me at the door. And when God commanded life, not only does it live and not only it doesn't die, but there's growth and there's the maturity. Look at the verse 7. It says, I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field. Thou wast increased and in waxed and great. Thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned. Thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. And we, of course, know how that can be applied to Israel. For from being that which was weak and in danger of perishing and being wiped out altogether, God was to make of them a great nation. A great multitude was to leave Egypt. Well, I want you to notice exactly the change that was wrought. You see, there was a covering instead of nakedness. Look at verse 8. It says, I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. He was to cover her so that the shame of her nakedness did no longer appear. And when we think of this, I'm sure that your mind will go back a few books to the little book of Ruth. And you remember how Boaz was to throw his skirt over Ruth as her redeemer kinsman in token of the special favor that he would bestow upon her. It was a sign of acceptance. He would do what she needed. That is, he would redeem her unto himself. And the same is true in salvation, for we are naked and done in God's sight, with nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. But in salvation there's a great change. For when the Lord speaks the word of life, and we're born again of his Spirit, he covers us with a spotless garment of Christ's righteousness. No longer the old rags of our self-righteousness, but we are covered. We're clothed in those garments which are acceptable and which are befitting of the presence of the king. Verse 10. I clothed thee also with broidered work, shod thee with badger's skin. I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. There's a, a verse that describes a clothing that is attractive, that is desirable, that is royal. There's a covering instead of nakedness. There's a cleansing instead of filthiness. Verse 9, Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. In salvation there's a washing away of that which defiles. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And thank God the vilest of sins can be washed away. And the sinner can be cleansed. You might take a moment to come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. They're now believers, of course, whom he's writing to. But he went and he spent a long time in that city, a city of great immorality, a city of great pollution, And they saw the mercy and the grace of God in saving those people from the depths of their sin. What depths? Well, you just read with me verse 9. He says, "'Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived?' Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And men and women, that just tells you that you're not getting to heaven with your sin. Whatever that sin might be. You mightn't be an adulterer tonight. But you might be covetous. You might be at the old drink. You might have stolen in your life. But you're not getting into heaven with your sin. And Paul says, as he gives that list, he says in verse 11 and such were some of you don't forget that such were some of you but ye are washed but ye are sanctified but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God there's the only answer by the way for the Sodomite they can be washed God can save them The effeminate is mentioned there. And God did it in Corinth. And He can do it today. He says, You're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, they're regenerated, they're set apart, they're justified. Man is corrupt originally, naturally, internally, and universally. Nor can he cleanse himself by anything that he can do. God alone can. And this he promises to do, and he does so. Not with the waters of water baptism, which can never take away sin, but the thorough washing is by the blood of Christ, for that is the fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. I want you to understand that it is a thorough washing. If I go over just a few chapters from where we are tonight, Ezekiel 36 and 25 says this, Then when I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus as pardon receives. We often sing it. There's not one stain of sin that is not forgiven or washed away. the message to your heart tonight, sinner, is simply this. If I can sum it up in the words of Isaiah 1 and 18, Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And then there is the anointing with the oil. So there's the washing, and there's the cleansing, there's the pardoning, and then there's the indwelling by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the change that takes place at conversion. Then washed I thee with water, yea, I thoroughly washed away thy blood from thee, and I anointed thee with oil. Verse 9. And there is the covenant instead of being cast out. Verse 8, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Israel were as those who were cast out and as those who were rejected, but God entered into a covenant with them, a covenant, an agreement, a promise, if you like, that he will never break. He took her unto himself. He did everything for her, whereby she has spoken in terms of beauty. In the following verses, I I draw uh, particularly to verse fourteen, and thy renown went forth among the heathen for thy beauty. For it was perfect through my comeliness, which I have put upon thee, saith the Lord God. They have a beauty that no other had. But I think even more so, more, some more beautiful words in the words of verse 14 are what the words that are found at the end of verse 8. It simply says, and I became as mine. I became as mine. Oh, my dear friend, that is what God does in salvation. There is the covenant of grace that is ratified in Christ by the finished work of Calvary's cross, that work of redemption there. The promise is that what he has begun to do, he will perform it, he will finish it. The God who extends his mercy and salvation will also keep your soul. And one day he will bring you into that beautiful city of God as a bride adorned for her husband. without spot, without any wrinkle. Let me ask you, do you belong to Christ tonight? Are you part of His bride? Are you one of His redeemed? If not, then come now and be saved. Experience the change that only God can wrought in your heart, and your life. Whereby you'll be able to leave this meeting house tonight saying, Preacher, I am His and He is mine. The 3rd of July, 2022. The Lord said to me in salvation, Thou becamest mine. I'll tell you the best Sabbath this year for you. It was a change that Thomas Goodwin, Thomas Goodwin was a Puritan and a preacher of a bygone age. He was a leader of a group within the Westminster Assembly. And he knew that change. Under conviction of sin, he said, I saw no way to escape but together with the sight of all this sinfulness. Hell opened his mouth upon me, threatening to devour and destroy me. But then God gave him a speedy word. I said unto you, I live. So God as it were in an instant as he created the world and the matter of all things by a word so he created and put a new life and spirit into my soul. End of quote. wonder will you know this change tonight in the gospel that only Christ can give. To know that change you've got to know the God of compassion. And how do you know the God of compassion? It's only through Christ the Son. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I pray that you'll come tonight. I pray the Lord will bless his word of each of our hearts. For his only name's sake. We'll stand.